Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, Where is God in the Storm? All right, well, Jesus in John 16, 33 made a wonderful promise. And he ended the promise with an absolute declaration of victory. John 16, 33 says this. Jesus said this. He said, in the world, you will have what? Tribulation. Take that to the bank, right? That's a promise from the word of God. I bet you that promise is not on anybody's refrigerator. It's not framed on anybody's wall. In the world, I will have tribulation. Yay, right? Well, the yay part is the second half of the promise. In the world, you will have tribulation, But be of good cheer, Jesus said, I have overcome the world. And so the Lord knew that as long as we live on this thing called planet Earth, we're going to experience heartache, setbacks, storms, trials, tribulation. But the good news is that even though we experience that tribulation, Jesus has overcome. Jesus has overcome the world. You say, what's that mean? The world system. The way the world thinks, right? The the, the world system that is anti-God and anti-Christ, that doesn't want anything to do with, with the Lord. Jesus has overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the flesh, our sinful nature that is selfish and self centered where we think we're the center of the universe and everybody's supposed to revolve around us. Jesus has overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the flesh. And Jesus has overcome the devil, who we're gonna talk about later in this message, Lucifer, the one who hates everything that is good. And so because Jesus has overcome, there is no need for us as Christians to be sad. We can absolutely be glad, even when times are dark, even in tribulation. So all of us saw, those of us who had power, all of us saw on the news the devastation of Hurricane Matthew this past week. We saw how the world can bring tribulation out of nowhere. And so we saw um, uh, Hurricane Matthew devastate the western end of Haiti and Jamaica uh, there a little bit, and then also Cuba, and then up in the Bahamas, and then our our own southeastern coast. You know, we thank God on on the Treasure Coast for the the wonderful wobble that we talked about earlier, but our friends up in St. Augustine um, man, they got flooded. Our own Billy Almaguer, who used to serve on staff here, who planted a church in St. Augustine, um, they're working in relief efforts. And so lots of people are hurting this morning. Lots of people are homeless. Lots of people are grieving for loved ones and friends who have passed away. A lot of, lot of people just need a drink of water, right? And so it's in times like these that questions surface. Questions like, why do bad things happen? Why is the earth so chaotic and dangerous? Where's God when it hurts? Where is God in the storm? And so in order to answer these questions, we have to go all the way back to the beginning because the truth is, in the beginning, God did not create a chaotic and dangerous planet. He created paradise. So if you're taking notes, here's your your first point. What are we doing, Pastor Mike? We're developing a basic apologetic. The word apologetics means a defense of the faith. We're developing a basic apologetic to answer the question, why suffering, why pain? Some people wanna blame it on God. 
But guess what? It's not God's fault. Because in the beginning, God originally created a beautiful, safe planet for mankind to enjoy. And so in the opening chapters of the Bible, Genesis tells us what the original creation was like. In Genesis 1.31, it says, Then God saw all that he had made, and indeed, listen to this, it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And so originally the earth was not chaotic or dangerous. Originally the earth was very good. It was a perfect place, a perfect environment for mankind to dwell in. So in the beginning, God created man. We're going to get to that in just a moment. And sometime around that time or before that time, no one knows, but at some point, God created another species of intelligent beings. Of course, they're called angels. Just like he created the earth perfect, so God created angels perfect. Someone says, how many angels are there? Nobody knows. The Bible doesn't say. Now, Jesus does talk about how every child has a guardian angel. So think about how many children have ever lived, how many children are on the face of the earth today. And so there's, there's millions and millions of angels. And so God made the angels perfect, and he gave them a free will. That means that those angels could choose their own path. They could either choose the path of worship and adoration and obedience to God, or those angels could choose another path of rebellion against God. Most of you guys know the story. One of the most beautiful angels, somebody named Lucifer, the anointed cherub, the worship leader of heaven, some Bible scholars believe. He got his eyes off God, and he put his eyes on himself. He became enamored with himself. He became selfish and self-centered and prideful. And Lucifer, who's a genius, by the way, a perverted genius, but a genius nonetheless, Lucifer was somehow able to, de to deceive one-third of the angels, one-third of the heavenly host, and they attempted a coup against God. The coup failed, and Lucifer and his followers were kicked out of heaven. Jesus said in Luke 10, 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Somebody says, well, wait, Pastor Mike, time out. You just said the angels were either created at the time Adam was created or sometime before Adam was created. Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. That's when Mary gave birth to Jesus. And so how can Jesus say, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven? Well, here's how. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Anybody know who the Word is? Shout out his name. Jesus. Jesus. Let's put his name in there. John 1.1 is what I'm quoting. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. Everybody hear it. Not just with your ears, but with your heart. And Jesus was God, wasn't is the eternal God. And so no, Jesus did not have his beginnings when he was born 2,000 years ago. He's the eternal son of God. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning, the word, Jesus, already existed. So he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. 
Now, guess where Lucifer went after he got the boot? When Lucifer got the boot, where did he go? Just, just, you can talk back to me, it's okay. To the planet Earth. He's called the prince of the power of the air. And so Lucifer, who is now called Satan, his fallen angels, who are now known as demons, they decided to come to our planet. Somebody says, why? Why did he choose planet Earth? Here's why. Because if he couldn't destroy God, then he would try to destroy those who God loved. You see, if you hate me and you're bitter against me and you want to get at me, but somehow you're not able to get to me, the, the worst thing you could ever do to me personally is hurt one of my daughters. And so why does Satan come to the earth? Here's why. He couldn't touch God, so he decided to destroy the children of God. How did it all go down? Well, you know the story, whether you're a churchgoer or not, right? So God formed from the dust of the earth a man, and he breathed into the nostrils of that man the breath of life, and man became a living being. Yes, here at Calvary Poor St. Lucie, we believe in a literal creation. We believe there actually was a man named Adam. This is not a fairy tale. It's not a story around a campfire. This is God's word, and it's true. Adam is real. He's the first man. And then Adam fell asleep. God did surgery and took out of his rib, and he formed the woman. And then God the Father brought Eve to Adam, the father of the bride, brought the bride to the groom, the first marriage ever in recorded history. And Adam and Eve became one flesh. God, who made everything perfect, made Adam perfect, he made Eve perfect, and he made a perfect garden for them to live in, the Garden of Eden. He planted lots of trees around the Garden of Eden. And in the midst of the garden, he planted at least two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said to Adam this, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall, what's the next two words? Not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So everybody again knows what happened. Adam and Eve ate from the one tree, so many trees. <laughs> they had to go to the one that God said, don't do it. And so they ate from the one tree God said, do not eat from. And I've heard people try to blame this on God. Right? Well, why did God have to put the tree of knowledge in the garden? If God didn't put the tree of knowledge in the garden, then Adam and Eve wouldn't have sinned and everything would have been great. No, everything would not have been great. Why? Because if God did not put the tree of knowledge in the garden of Eden, then Adam and Eve would not have had a choice. Ladies and gentlemen, God gives us free will. He gives us a choice. Now, the next quote we're gonna put on the screen, I've given to you at least five times in the last five years. But the reason I do that is because I want you, number one, to read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Number two, if you have an agnostic, atheist, or skeptical friend, give him, buy that book and give it to them on their birthday or Christmas or just give it to them. And then he explains very eloquently this Oxford Don, one of the greatest minds of the 20th century, he explains free will here. 
So from mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says, free will, though it makes evil possible, is also the only thing that makes possible any love or goodness or joy worth having. A world of automata, of creatures that work like machines, would hardly be worth creating. The happiness which God designs for his higher creatures, that's angels and humans, is the happiness of being freely, and what's the next word? Voluntarily united to him and each other in an ecstasy of love and delight compared with which the most rapturous love between a man and a woman on this earth is mere milk and water. And so thank God for the gift of choice. Thank God for the gift of free will. God could have made all of us robots, programmed us to follow him, but what joy and satisfaction would God get out of that? No, he sets before us Two paths, two roads, life or death, serve God or serve yourself. Everybody has that choice. Adam and Eve exercised their free will, and sadly, they chose to disobey God. Okay, so what was the result? Here's the result. Just like Lucifer made the wrong choice and fell into corruption, so Adam and Eve made the wrong choice and fell into corruption, and they dragged all humanity down that path of corruption with them. You see, the Bible says in Romans 5, 12, that as by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world. Okay, just, just listen to that. Every phrase in God's word is deep with meaning. As by one man, Adam, and by the way, that's why we believe in a literal Adam. By one man, Adam, sin entered into the world. In other words, there was no sin in the world before Adam made that horrible choice to eat the forbidden fruit. As by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Now, before some of you think, well, wait till I get to heaven, I'm gonna give Adam a piece of my mind, right? Before you think that, remember another verse in Romans that says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, all of us, your pastor included, at some time in our life, were given a choice, do right or do wrong, and all of us, please everybody say all, have all made the wrong choice. And so the skeptic in times of difficulty comes on the scene and they make statements like, why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? If God exists, he must not be a good God. And they try to blame God for suffering. But the truth is, suffering is the result of living in a fallen world which man caused. Okay, I want, to, I want to say that again because it's so important that you guys get this. The reason for suffering, the reason for pain is because we live in a fallen world, which is not God's fault. It's absolutely man's fault. Scripture teaches that because of man's sin, there was at least two falls, right? There was the fall of man, humanity, but there was the, also the fall of nature. Because of man's sin, God's perfect planet was corrupted. 
According to Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, after Adam made the wrong choice to sin against God, you remember what was cursed? The ground was cursed because of Adam's wrong choice. And so the earth that we live in, though there are beautiful places in the earth, the earth that we live in is a cursed earth. It's not a blessed earth. We live in a fallen world. And so that's why we have natural disasters. If you're taking notes, here's your next point. The destructive power of nature is our planet's testimony to mankind's rebellion against God. You guys remember, for those of us, those of you who are with us in Romans chapter eight, as we studied verse by verse, I think we did five messages in Romans chapter eight, my favorite, or one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. But you remember in Romans chapter eight, it talks about how creation was subject to futility and creation, nature itself, groans and labors with birth pains until now. And so again, because of man's sin, nature, creation was corrupted and the earth has become chaotic and dangerous. And so now we have things like droughts and earthquakes and tidal waves and mudslides and tornadoes and hurricanes. And here's what you need to know. God did not create any of those things. He did not. They're the result of man's sin and the fall. And so why are there natural disasters? It's because we live in a fallen world and somebody crosses their arms and says, well, if God is all powerful, why doesn't he come back and fix it? He will. <laughs> Believe me, he will. You ever read the last, book in, the last book in the Bible? Ladies and gentlemen, it's the whole reason Jesus came. But by thy holy cross, thou hast redeemed the world. Jesus came to redeem the world. He came to redeem you and I and make us sons and daughters of God. Not just sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, but sons and daughters of God. That's why he came. He came to seek and to save those who's, who were lost. That's why he shed his blood so that all of our sins could be forgiven. But he didn't just come back to redeem humanity. He came back to redeem the world. And one day, as the Revelation says, he's going to open the seals. He's going to blow the trumpets. He's going to pour out the bowls of wrath. He's going to convict the criminals, the convicts, those who hate God off of this planet. And Jesus Christ literally, not figuratively, is going to come back and he's going to set up his kingdom on this world. He's coming back. And listen, at that time, the Garden of Eden will be restored. At that time, we're going to get back what Adam lost. And all of us, whether we have our hands in our pockets during worship on Sunday morning or whether we have our hands in the sky, all of us, I guarantee you, on that day, will have both hands in the sky. We'll be shouting and screaming and praising our hero for what he has done. And so don't tell me that it's God's fault for pain and suffering in the world. It's not his fault. He gave everything he can give to restore it and make it all right. And if we choose to cop an attitude against God, we will absolutely drift off into the darkness. Why are there natural disasters? Because we live in a fallen world, but also because we have a fallen enemy. 
You see, there are two realms that God created. A realm you can see and a realm you cannot see. There's a material realm that you can see with your naked eye. But there's a spiritual realm that you and I cannot see with our naked eye. And by the way, just because we can't see it doesn't mean it does not exist. And so when it comes to storms, you got to remember this. It's your next point. Sometimes there's spiritual forces behind the storms of life. You guys remember the story of Job? If you haven't read it, it's not called Job. It's Job. (laughs) And I encourage you to read at least the first couple chapters later this week. But Job lived a long time ago in Old Testament times, probably a contemporary of Abraham. So that would be 2000 BC-ish. So about 4,000 years ago, there was a man who lived named Job, and Job, well, Job was a guy who feared God and shunned evil. And the Lord was so blessed by Job. He was so blessed with Job's attitude and his actions. But Satan hated Job. And so one day, Satan came before God, and God said this to Job. God said, have you considered my servant Job? There's nobody like him in all the earth. He respects me. He shuns evil. He's blameless and he's upright. Satan, Lucifer, the fallen angel, snarled at God and said, does Job fear God for nothing? You've made a hedge of protection around him and his family. You've blessed the works of his hands. You've increased his goods. He's a rich man. He's blessed. Of course he respects you. Of course he shuns evil. And then Satan said to God, Remove the hedge of protection from around Job. Take away your blessings, and he will curse you to your face. I wonder if God and Satan ever had that conversation about you or about me. You see, if God did lower the hedge of protection, if God did begin to take away blessings from us, would we curse God to his face? I mean, some people in our city this past week didn't have power for two days and they were hot and they were that close to cursing God. What if you lost everything? Would you curse the Lord? Are you only following the Lord because of what he can give to you? Or are you following him because he's a great God? And so God lowered the hedge, God took Satan up on his challenge. God lowered the hedge of protection from around Job and gave Satan permission. I want everybody to say the word permission. Permission. To attack Job. So what was the result? The result was that raiders came and they stole Job's oxen and donkeys. Not only that, but then that quick fire comes down from the sky and burns up all his sheep. And then that quick, thieves come in and take all of his camels. And then the worst thing of all, a million times worse than any of those other things. All of his adult children were gathered together in one house for a party. And while they were celebrating, a storm brewed up. 
And the wind, this fierce wind, hit the house and knocked the house over, and it killed every single one of Job's adult children. And so, where did the wind come from? Where did the storm come from? It came from Satan. What does that tell us? That tells us that sometimes there's spiritual forces behind the storms of life. Ladies and gentlemen, there's more that meets the eye than what you can see with your eyes. There's a spiritual realm where Lucifer dwells, the prince of the power of the air. There's a spiritual realm where fallen angels dwell, which we call demons. And there's a network of these demons across the whole world. John tells us in his little epistle at the end of the Bible, the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. I was reading in my devotions this past week in Daniel chapter 10, and Daniel was praying and fasting for 21 days, for three weeks. And the whole time he was praying and he was fasting, on the first day he started to pray and fast, God dispatched an angel, with a, a good angel, with a message for Daniel. And what happened was that angel, uh, the good angel on his way, got hindered and stopped by the prince of Persia, which is a demonic overlord over the country of Persia, now known as Iran. And they were fighting back and forth, and the evil angel was keeping the good angel from getting to Daniel with the message of God. But on the 21st day, Michael the archangel came and fought against the prince of Persia, allowing the other holy angel to come and deliver the message of God. How long did Daniel pray? How long did Daniel fast? 21 days. What does that tell us? That tells us that when we pray, when we fast, when we get serious about the things of God, it does something in the spiritual realm that we cannot see. And so there's a spiritual realm. Now, having said all that, please understand, we don't teach dualism. You know, there's a good force in the universe, and there's a bad force in the universe. And those forces are equal, and they're fighting against one another. And so, Luke, may the force be with you. You know, we don't, we don't teach that. <laughs> Satan is not equal with God. One's the creator, the other's the creation. And by the way, what did Satan have to get from God before he attacked Job? Go ahead. Permission. Permission. That leads you to your next point, which I'm very happy about, by the way, and that is that God is sovereign over storms. He's sovereign over it, okay? That's why you gotta belong to God. (laughs) And so in John chapter six, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, Jesus shows his sovereignty over the storms. Jesus, if you're brand new to the Bible, lived and ministered most of his time up in Galilee area. I really hope more of you uh, decide, if you can afford it, to go with us to Israel in March because we're gonna spend half of our trip, I think five days, up in Galilee. It's my favorite part of Israel. The, 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 the southern end of Israel is dry and arid. There's more to do down in the southern area, but the, the, the northern part of Israel around the Galilee is beautiful, it's lush, it's green, it's mountainous. And so because of how the Sea of Galilee is situated, um, there's, this, there's these mountains in the northern end of the Sea of Galilee, and the wind whips off the mountains, and so the Sea of Galilee is known for these nasty storms that come up from time to time. 
And so one day, Jesus in John 6 told his disciples, I want you guys to get into a boat and I want you to head up to Bethsaida. Go north, head up to the area of Capernaum, but go, go to Bethsaida and I'll meet you later. And so Jesus went up on a mountain to pray. You guys remember the story? Aren't you glad he's praying for you when you go through the storms of life? He goes up on a mountain to pray and the disciples are rowing. First of all, at first, everything's great as they're rowing north, going up to Bethsaida. But then all of a sudden, one of those nasty storms came down on the Sea of Galilee. And the next thing you know, the wind is howling, the storm is raging, the, the, the boat is going up and down, the, the waves are crashing against the boat. And then, if that wasn't enough, and by the way, the Bible says these guys are rowing for three hours. They're scared to death as it is. But if that wasn't enough, then all of a sudden, they see something in the distance. The time is some way, some, some, somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. And they're out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the night, in the middle of the storm, and they see something in the distance moving on the water. Tell me you would not be freaked out. It shook them to their wet sandals. They were freaking out, right? These big, burly, seasoned fishermen started crying out like babies. And all of a sudden, they heard the words of Jesus. And Jesus said, be of good cheer. It is I, do not be afraid. He's standing on the raging waves of the sea. And he's saying, don't be afraid. He's standing on the raging waves of the sea. And he's saying, it's me, it's your savior. Don't be afraid, be of good cheer, right? So, so, so what does that picture tell us? What that picture tells us is the truth in the Bible that Jesus is sovereign over the storms of life. Actual howling, hurricane, Matthew type of storms, but also things like when you lose your power for three or four days, when you lose your job and you don't know how you're gonna make ends meet financially, when you lose your health and they gotta rush you to the hospital because you're so sick. When a loved one passes away and it hurts so bad inside, you don't know what to do. Jesus is sovereign over the storms of life. When the doctor says it's cancer, when there's a strain going on in your marriage, when you have an adult child that turns his or her back on God, whatever it may be, ladies and gentlemen, please get this truth. Whatever storm you're facing right now, you gotta understand that the waves of that storm are under the feet of the master. Where's God in the storm? He's walking on the storm. Where's God in the storm? He's victorious over the storm. He's sovereign over your storm. This is not some little fairy tale story about Jesus walking on water that you learned in Sunday school. The stories we teach in Sunday school are real. They're true. But if we would let go of our skepticism, if we would put our defensive wall down, if we would open our heart to a true and living and good God, he would impact our hearts and let us know that he is in control. He's in control. So... He wants to say, be of good cheer to you in the middle of your storm. He wants to deliver you. I, um, I deal with this thing in my life uh, called claustrophobia. Some of you guys are afraid of heights. 
Some of you are afraid of spiders. Some of you are afraid of snakes. Right now, if a roach crawled across the platform, some of you in the last row would run out of the building, okay? And so I deal with claustrophobia. That means that I hate small spaces, and I especially hate the feeling of being trapped or held down. Now, I don't know where this came from. You know, maybe in my earlier years, I know that sometimes, um, you know, my brothers would hold me down, and they would spit. And then right as the, you know, I'm the youngest brother. I got two older brothers, and so I'm smaller than them, and they would spit. And the spit would come down, and then they'd suck it back up. Sometimes they wouldn't catch it in time, and so. I remember one time I was swimming with a bunch of guys who were much bigger than me, and one dude who's a bully just grabbed me and held me down for no reason, would let me up, and I'm like, about to pass out. So maybe that's where it comes from, I don't know. But what I know is that from my childhood, everything was fine, I never experienced any claustrophobia at all, until one day, about 14 or 15 years ago, I went camping, I was with another church at the time, with a bunch of guys. And one of my buddies had a brand new camper trailer. And I had to use the restroom. So he said, go ahead, there's a restroom in my camper. And so I went into that restroom. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a camper trailer restroom. It's smaller than the airplane restroom. <laughs> and so I go in there, I do my business, you know, the door's locked, and then I'm trying to get out and it won't, I'm unlocking, locking, unlocking, locking. And everybody forgot about Pastor Mike. <laughs> They're all around this campfire singing Kumbaya. And I'm in the, and I'm like, guys, guys, guys. Nothing for, for a while. Then finally I hear my buddy, hey, Mike, where are you? I'm in here, man. I can't get out. Oh, oh, oh. And I said, stand back. I'm kicking this door down right now. And he's like, please don't, I just bought this thing, right? We'll get you out. I got a friend with tools. And so the guy with tools comes. He works for like 10 minutes, he can't get me out. And I'm standing there a the whole time. Finally, I don't know how long it was, 30 minutes, 35 minutes, they finally get me out. I felt like a caged bird, I'm free, right? <laughs> and so that, that triggered it. The next thing I know, I'm getting on an airplane, not even thinking about any of this stuff. I sit down in my seat, I look up to the front, and they shut the door, and I felt it. Claustrophobia, anxiety, fear of being trapped. And nobody knows around me, but I'm freaking out inside. And God got me through it. And so what did I do? I went to go see my friend, Norm Yeager, who spoke to you guys last spring with Pastor Bob. And he said, hey, Mike, the good news is the chemical that you're brain gives off during an anxiety attack, there's only so much of that chemical, then it's depleted, and then you're good to go. I'm like, hey, thanks, man. That's good news, right? <laughs> At least I know it's just a little bit. And so I still deal with it. You know, um, probably eight years ago, nine years ago, I was at Disney World, and I can't remember the name of the ride, but we walk in. It's the one that you stand up, you're all in a circle, and there's something going on on the inside, some kind of alien thing. And um, all of a sudden, I look up, and there's big bars that are getting ready to come down on me. And there's my wife, Megan, Mandy, Mary, and an empty seat. 
And they're like, where's dad? Dad's gone. I'm not gonna stand there being held in, no way. And then a few years ago, I got back issues. They wanna give me an MRI. So I go down to US-1, and I, I, I didn't take any medicine, you know, and next thing I know, I'm going in, the wall's like, the ceiling's like right here, I'm looking over, and about four feet that way, I see some air, that four feet that way, there's some space. I was in there for more than an hour, but God helped me through worship music and prayer. And so I remember in Israel, Hezekiah's tunnel, the first time I went to Israel, you know, I'm thinking, okay, I'm gonna go to Hezekiah's tunnel. Great, woohoo, we're gonna go underneath the Temple Mount. We're gonna be in this little cave, this, this, this little path, and the walls are literally like this, and sometimes the ceiling you have to, and the water's up to here, and that's great. And so I'm in line, I'm ready, I'm psyched out, and I look up, and there's big, big letters on the wall. If you suffer from claustrophobia, do not enter. <laughs> and I'm like, with my guide, my guide's like, I'm not going in there, I'm, so I'm with you. And so I went <laughs> with the guide, and the rest of the team went. But the good news is, Two years later, we went back to Israel. I was prayed up. Some of you guys who know me were praying for me, and I made it through Hezekiah's tunnel with God's help. Now, let me say one more thing, and I'm done. God will deliver you. Three months ago or two months ago, we went to Haiti with MFI. I'm so impressed with MFI. I love that ministry. I was so blessed by these pilots who actually pray for you in the name of Jesus before they fly, people who love the Lord. And so we're in the DC-3. There's no AC on the DC-3. So it's hot on the tarmac, but it's freezing cold when you're up in the air. And so we're, on, we're getting ready to come home. We're at Port-au-Prince Airport in the middle of rush hour. It makes Atlanta look like Atlanta's fast. Plane after plane after plane, and we're shut in to this DC-3, and it's hot in five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, there's a guy talking to me next, a stranger talking to me next to me. I'm not hearing a word he's saying. <laughs> and I felt it. I felt the anxiety attack. I felt it start coming. And I said, excuse me. Undid my buckle. Wasn't supposed to get out of the seat. Went out to the bath, back, back, back bathroom. The engines are, they can't hear me. I started calling out in the name of Jesus out loud. And as I said his name out loud, crying for him to help me. Here's what happened. A peace that passes all understanding, a joy unspeakable, full of glory. It was like God wrapped me up in his arms and gave me such a flood of his peace. All fear was gone. Joy was replaced. Well, joy replaced the fear, and I made it through the rest of the time on the tarmac, and on the way home, no problems. God is a good God. He's a daddy who's in control. He loves you as his child. You got to cry out to him. You got to call out to him. You got to cry out the name. Listen, you say the name of Jesus. There's power in that name. Why do you think people don't like it when you say Jesus out loud? I mean, you can talk about anything at work. You can talk about crystals, and Buddhism, and Hinduism. And everything, but say the name of Jesus, and you see everybody's uncomfortable. There's power in the name of Jesus. And so, sometimes God delivers us out of the storm. Sometimes he takes us through the storm right by our side. Either way, God's faithful. 
So how are we going to respond to the storms of life? How are we going to respond when we suffer loss? Well, hopefully, we're going to respond the same way Job responded. He lost everything. He lost all his kids. His wife was a big help. She looked at Job and said, after all this calamity, why don't you just curse God and die? Glad I'm not married to her, right? <laughs> Look how Job responded after losing his kids and everything he had. Then Job arose, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell to the ground, and what did he do? He worshiped Yahweh God, the true and only God. He worshiped him, the God of the Bible. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with anything wrong. What an amazing attitude Job had. Listen, when he suffered loss, he didn't cross his arms and say, because of all the bad stuff that's happened, I don't believe in God anymore. And I'm taking my ball and going home. By the way, huge percentage of atheists grew up in the church, but they experienced something traumatic and difficult, and they walked away from God. Job did not cross his arms and say, man, if there is a God, he must be an evil God, because look at all this pain and suffering in the world. He didn't do any of that. He threw himself upon God's mercy and God's grace. And so, ladies and gentlemen, all of us have an enemy who hates us to the core. And so when we're attacked, and by the way, he wants to destroy us completely. Satan wanted to destroy Job completely, but God only let him go so far. Okay, so the next time you're attacked by the enemy, instead of complaining and getting upset about going through a difficult time, why don't you get on your knees and thank God that he restrains the enemy from completely destroying you? The next time you're, 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 you're attacked by the enemy, why don't you get on your knees and thank God that he's restraining him from attacking you even more? And when you follow the same line of thinking, if you're with me, say amen here. Okay, when, you, when, when people experience a natural disaster, instead of getting all upset at God, why don't we get on our knees and thank God that he restrains us from experiencing more natural disasters? We could have one, two, three, four major hurricanes a year. But what happens is that here in Florida, we have many years of beautiful weather, and every once in a while, something comes through. And I know some people are like, I'm out of here. I'm done with Florida. I bought a generator. I put up shutters. I bought all this water, and nothing happened. I'm moving away. <laughs> right? Well, listen to this. I read this. True story. There's a couple in California. They were afraid of earthquakes. They said, I'm getting out of here. I'm leaving California. They moved to Missouri. They were killed in a tornado. True story. When your time's up, doesn't matter if you live in Florida, California, Missouri, your time's up. And so why don't we just adjust, listen, why don't we just adjust our attitude and like Job, throw ourselves upon God's mercy and grace. Last point, we're done. When times are dark, the light of God's people has to shine the brightest. Listen to the word of the Lord. 
Jesus said, you, Christian, are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men, so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so, hey, let's adjust our attitudes. I'd rather follow the Savior, focus on the Savior, and walk in his light than focus on the storm and drift off into the darkness. Let your light shine. Get over yourself and realize life's not about me and it's not about you. It's about serving the king and it's about helping his people. We have an opportunity. Here's how we're gonna respond today. As a church family, we have a responsibility, we have a duty to let our light shine so that people can see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. We've teamed up with MFI. You heard what you can do to be a practical help. Go to their website. Make a donation if God leads you to. Grab the supply list, go shopping with your kids. Take it to their hangar. Maybe go volunteer, but let's step up Let's be the people of God. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com. Click on Home, then Knowing Christ.